Jay Doherty podcast. It is now being reported that President Trump had a phone call this summer in which he urged Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky about information that could damage Trump's biggest 2020 opponent, Joe Biden. Why is this a big deal and why does Ukraine specifically play into this matter? Also, Representative Joe Kennedy III of Massachusetts is running for U.S. Senate against Ed Markey. We'll look back at my interview with him and analyze the potential for a Senate victory. Is he going to be more moderate or progressive in the majority of his policy? Finally, we'll take a look at This Week in Media, a new segment on the Jay Doherty Podcast. Today, we are looking at The View co-host, Megan McCain, who left set after getting into an argument with contributor Anna Navarro. Even while the ideologies are different, are the strategies used by the left and the right in the media the same? We'll answer all of that and more in episode number 108 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That's correct, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 108. Thank you very much for being here on Saturday, Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. It is currently 2.09 p.m. We're broadcasting live on the internet radio for episode number 108. There is a lot to talk about today, and we're going to get to all of it. Uh, we'll start with some international news, of course. Trump speaking to the Ukrainian president about uh, potential information on Joe Biden, which was in July. It's now being come to light by a whistleblower complaint. There's not much that we know about it, and we know about the complaint so far. We know some about uh, the people involved and how they've responded. Uh, we also know uh, the other story that we're going to be talking about today. Joe Kennedy III, he announced his Senate run against Ed Markey in Massachusetts. Look back at my interview with him. And then also, interesting story. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to kind of involve the media side of politics a little bit more in the podcast. So I'm doing this new segment. Hopefully it's going to be every week, maybe every other week, where we talk about media figures, the, the way they're interacting with politics, uh, and how they do so. Of course, I like to always pick liberal shows and conservative shows. Today, uh, we will be focusing on uh, the probably the most liberal show out there, uh, arguably The View, uh, or at least the most liberal uh, non-cable show out there, The View, uh, which broadcasts live. And I, I'm not a big fan of the show. They had some interesting uh, set walk-offs. We'll talk about all of that and more coming up next on episode number 108 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. But first, we have to talk about Ukrainian president. Supposedly, uh, information about Joe Biden in July about his son's business dealings. Uh, according to whistleblower reports, President Trump had a phone conversation in July with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, about information that could damage Joe Biden. If this were to be true, this would literally... Okay, so if Trump were literally to have a conversation... Uh, with a foreign leader about a political rival, and it could be framed as something bigger than it is, or not, or framed fairly, this could objectively be the most damaging that the president, you know, thing to the president that we've seen so far. Um, of course, you know, the president doesn't doesn't necessarily agree with this, uh, as he's directly stated in the past. But I'm confident the law will. So the question is really, why do I say this? Well, be, perhaps it's because. There's one line in, in a Washington Post article that determines the urgency that this whistleblower felt and then the subsequent action taken uh, by by other members uh, in higher rankings when considering actually making the complaint. Phenomenal original reporting, I believe, from the Washington Post, also the Wall Street Journal, 
The Washington Post article reads in part, quote, the complaint involved communications with a foreign leader and a quote-unquote promise that Trump made, which was so alarming that a U.S. intelligence official who had worked at the White House went to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, according to two former U.S. officials. Now, uh, this is all still hypothetical. We don't know anything, you know, any facts objectively so far. But just from the reporting and from we from what we've you know heard from the whistleblower, it sounds pretty urgent. Uh, in my opinion, we still don't know much about it though. All we really know is that the president made some sort of promise, or vice versa. Maybe you know Ukraine made a president or a promise to the president, or you know some sort of exchange for knowledge. You know, it, it, just anything that sounds uh, sketchy in any way, of course. Uh, they're going to investigate. Um, so basically, th- at the end of the day, it's uh, it's something about a promise that a staffer thought was concerning, and somehow all of this plays into Joe Biden's race for president. And here's the real zinger. Rudy Giuliani is involved in this whole mess. <laughs> so, about the complaint itself, that's all we really know, but it's really interesting to see the, who the people are that responded to this issue and how they did so. The influential people uh, who collectively responded to this issue, as to be determined by your subjective idea of relevance, are Rudy Giuliani, who went on Chris Cuomo's show, Representative Adam Schiff, no surprise, speaking to reporters, and also, no surprise, President Donald Trump on Twitter. And we're going to go through all of these one at a time. Uh, perhaps out of all of them, Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani is the most interesting. He went on Chris Cuomo's uh, primetime show on CNN and made some pretty astounding allegations that uh, didn't seem that Giuliani didn't really know, seem to understand the significance of. Uh, Chris Cuomo first ver- asked a very blatant question to the former NYC mayor, and um, he had a very interesting, very broad response to a pretty open-ended question. Did the president talk to the Ukrainian president about what he wanted done with Joe Biden and what he wanted done with Paul Manafort? I have no idea. I never asked him that. I don't know if he did, and I wouldn't care if he did. He had every right to do it as the president of the United States. Oh, wow. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good defense, isn't it? You know, if I uh, ever asked a rhetorical question on this podcast uh, about the president that I don't know the answer to, I will just refer to that clip uh, but play the play the short part. For example, I don't know if I just were to make up some allegation of the president. I don't know. I don't know what I would say. I don't know. Like, did the president steal twenty dollars, Mr. Giuliani? Mr. Giuliani, did the president steal twenty dollars? I have no idea. I never asked him that. I don't know if he did, and I wouldn't care if he did. He had every right to do it as the president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, anything he can do, literally anything. Did he, like, I mean, because there's, there's bounds to executive privilege, and that's kind of where this, this whole thing stems from. The idea of executive privilege and how far you're actually able to go as it relates to executive privilege. You can ask Giuliani anything, and his answer will be... I have no idea. I never asked him that. I don't know if he did, and I wouldn't care if he did. He had every right to do it as the president of the United States. You know, there's a lot of interesting facial expressions throughout that interview as well. We'll have a picture of all of them posted on the website at j-story.com. Anyway, well, that's amusing. The rest of the questioning uh, actually formed itself into an argument which involved, no surprise, Mr. Cuomo kind of defending himself in a about a minute long, just over a minute long argument uh, with these two men. He had every right to say to the Ukrainian president, we have two outstanding allegations of massive corruption. And Did he ask you to do what you were doing? 
No, I did what I did on my own. And then really? I told him about it afterwards because I'm his lawyer and I know how to investigate. So you never talked and to I, him about it before. You only talked to him about it after. Three months after I found out about it. And then I found out that it was true by getting signed, sworn statements from five people in the Ukraine who said that we were brought into the White House, the Obama White House, and we were told, go dig up dirt on Trump and Manafort in January of 2016. You have no idea how big this is because you're I blinded. Love, you're me, blinded by your prejudice. Give me the affidavits. I appreciate I'm the personal insults. I'm not going to give you the affidavits. Why, why I'm give them in court. I'm not going to give so them go to present you. Them. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm a journalist. Court. You oh, keep saying, that. Hold, hold on, Rudy. Rudy. You can't indict you, anybody. You want to say I won't cover it because I'm like this, right? You say? Oh, um, man, when I, when I now watch you the introduction of show, I'm not going to give you proof. What can you do? You can't indict anybody. Believe me, the proof is in the right hands. Ah, the proof is in the right hands. Famous last words. That I mean, it's a very interesting uh, thing. Th this whole kind of argument with the media and, and how Giuliani uh, puts it. I don't know. I mean, that that's basically as much objective as uh, you know information as we're gonna get. Giuliani's kind of gone a little bit crazy in the last twenty years, uh, or maybe no, I'd say maybe the last ten years. Perhaps would be the more accurate scope of his. Relative insanity. Next up, uh, Democratic representative and chair of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Bennett Schiff, who laid out his partisan plan to investigate the complaint and also bashed the inspector general in the process. Uh, this was just kind of walking through the hallway. A bunch of cameras were on him. And he answered uh, the question. Under the law, when a whistleblower does that, the inspector general has two weeks to investigate that complaint to determine if it's urgent and credible. In the absence of the actions, and I want to thank the Inspector General, in the absence of his actions and coming to our committee, we might not have even known there was a whistleblower complaint alleging an urgent concern. We do know that the Department of Justice has been involved in the decision to withhold that information from Congress. We do not know because we cannot get an answer to the question about whether the White House is also involved in preventing this information from coming to Congress. If, in a matter within the jurisdiction of the Director of National Intelligence, you have an employee of that community or a contractor or a detailee who follows the law and makes a complaint, and it is possible for the subject of that complaint to essentially quash the complaint or keep it from Congress, then this system is badly broken. Okay, so then he blames the system. And then, you know, that's a frequent strategy. And I actually think Schiff, out of all these people, even though he's incredibly skewed to the left, as he probably should be, just as I would expect any Republican to be skewed to the right, he had the best, most comprehensive understanding uh, of the facts and then put his little twist on it, um, which is fair. Um, but, the you know, the potential culprit in this whole thing, obviously, is Trump or Biden. Um, the big of the story now is basically Trump, you know, because he's the sitting president of the United States, and uh, the law only applies to him. The only reason this is a story is because uh, he is the president, and Joe Biden is running for president. Uh, Trump took to Twitter, as usual, and defended himself, saying, quote, another fake news story out there, it never ends. Virtually any time I speak on the phone to a foreign leader, I understand that there may be many people listening from various U.S. agencies, not to mention those from the other country itself. No problem, exclamation point. Knowing all of this, 
uh, is anybody dumb enough to believe that I would say something inappropriate with a foreign leader while on such a potentially, quote-unquote, heavily populated call? I would only do what is right anyway and only do good for the USA. That's actually a pretty good defense, uh, I will admit. Um, but Trump could easily disprove all this stuff. He could easily disprove what he claims as a fake news media and the story that they're pushing out. All he has to do is just release the, the transcript of the call. I mean, that's all transcribed. When he says people are listening from agencies, yeah, they might be just to investigate him, but there's also, uh, you know, all the calls for the president, they can be transcribed. Uh, they're all recorded. I mean, they're all, you know, they've just for archives and, you know, sake and stuff. Uh, and for security reasons as well. So all he has to do is, you know, release the transcript and or the recording. In fact, Biden, the guy who's kind of you know, all caught up in this and, you know, maybe rightfully so, has encouraged him to release the transcript, which could lean both ways for Trump politically. All this could be put to an end if he personally released the call and, you know, all the information relating to the call. Um, and, you know, that was even furthered. Uh, in fact, Trump, uh, in a previously scheduled meeting, was hosting uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison of Australia at the White House. Throughout a slew of press conferences and formalities, Trump said some other things about the Ukraine at one press conference uh, in the Oval Office, and he actually responded to a question from a reporter in which he kind of reiterated the comments on Twitter, but said in a little bit more of a direct way. It's a ridiculous story. It's a partisan whistleblower. Uh, I shouldn't even have information. Uh, I've had conversations with many leaders that are always appropriate. I think Scott can tell you that. Always appropriate. At the highest level, always appropriate. And anything I do, I fight for this country. I fight so strongly for this country. Uh, it's just another uh, political hack job. That's all it is. Uh, it doesn't matter what I discuss, but I will say this. Somebody ought to look into Joe Biden's statement, because it was disgraceful, where he talked about billions of dollars that he's not giving to a certain country unless a certain prosecutor is taken off the case. See that so, vagueness? Uh, somebody ought to look into that, and you wouldn't because he's a Democrat. And uh, the fake news doesn't look into things like that. It's a disgrace. But I had a, I had a great conversation with numerous people. I don't even know exactly who you're talking about. But I had a great conversation with numerous people, uh, uh, numerous leaders. I don't know the identity of the whistleblower. I just hear it's a partisan person meaning it comes out from another party, uh, but I don't have uh, any idea, but I can say that it was... All right, so he goes on and on and on. Um, but the thing is, really, is, I mean, I don't really understand, from a basic point, like, what, I mean, you see how broad he is. Like, uh, certain countries, certain person, you know, the, the stuff, we really don't know much about. We just know that the call took place, uh, like, late July, July 25th, I think was the call date. Yes, it was, and... And that's all we really know. And the public doesn't know much about this, of course. You know, the allegation from what we know so far has something to do with Joe Biden's son's overseas business dealings, which I'm sure are nothing compared to Trump's totally dishonest business deals in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So it's just politics on both sides at this point. The only reason that this is a story is because it's potentially damaging to Biden or potentially damaging to Trump. Of course, Trump is going to, you know as he just did, deflect onto Biden and also claim that the fake news media is targeting him, which is not a new strategy, uh, but that is what he did. 
uh, Joe Biden was in Des Moines, Iowa, and he actually responded uh, to similar questions about the story. Oh, and by the way, I didn't mention it before. All these clips are edited in like highlights of all these responses that I cut up. Uh, most of the responses are about like four minutes long. And I just didn't want to waste your time, so I cut them all up. Here's Joe Biden responding in Des Moines, Iowa to uh, claims about his business dealings and his son as well. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And so how do you know? Here's what I know. Gravelly audio. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened? That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the uh, presidency to try to do something to smear me. Everybody looked at this and everybody's looked at it and said there's nothing there. Ask the right question. Mr. Biden, okay, but you've never spoken to your Pardon son. Me. Depending on what the, what the House finds, he could be impeached, but I'm not making that judgment now. The House should investigate it. The House should investigate this. This appears to be an overwhelming abuse of power. To get on the phone with a foreign leader who is looking for help from the United States and ask about me and imply things, if that's what happened, that appears to be what happened. We know that's what Giuliani did. This is outrageous. You have never seen anything like this. All right, so they go on and banter, and the media always ask questions and stuff. But the thing that is kind of important that you kind of notice there is he, he saved himself at the end. He you know kind of went on a trail about hypotheticals, and then he said, if it happened. And that's the big point. So far, there is no evidence that anyone has done anything wrong, including Biden, including Trump, including Biden's son. Uh, so that's where we're going to leave it today. But anyway, in the, in the worst case scenario for Trump, uh, he actually did have this conversation which violated some sort of rule. And that rule and the way he violated it could be accused as extortion of a foreign leader. Uh, I mean, this is, of course, the worst case scenario. That extortion charge, though, could go to the courts. And if the leader of the free world is being accused of extortion in a federal court, you know, the international community is going to tackle him. So there's a lot of scary potential. But that only is if this actually happened. And from what it looks like so far, it hasn't happened. Uh, but there is a potential. So the only, you know, there was a lot of scary potential with Mueller, too. The only major difference is that Trump could just release these transcripts and have the story completely deflated, you know, overnight. And, uh, you know, the whole thing could be just over. So we're just going to we're going to see what happens. And uh, I think that's probably the best place to leave it. There's not really much of another place um, because we just do not know that much. New details, of course, will become very uh, apparent in the next couple of days, uh, and I'm sure we will see those come out very soon. Uh, but as of right now, that's really all that we know. We're 18 minutes and 47 seconds into this fine podcast episode. We're going to take a uh, quick break here on episode number 108 of the Jay Doherty podcast. We are broadcasting live on the internet radio. The number is 312-625-8492 if you want to leave a voicemail or text into the show. I got to get better reading the text. There's people who, who, who text in the show after they listen and I just don't read them and perhaps I will read them at some point in the near future. The number is 312-625-8492 if you want to chime in on anything that we do right here on this fine podcast. It is Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, 2.27 p.m. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. Hi, 
everyone. It's Congressman Joe Kennedy, and you're listening to the Jay Doherty Podcast. That's correct, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening to episode number 108 of the Jay Doherty Podcast, 230 right now. Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, as we broadcast and record live. All right, big news. You heard Joe Kennedy there introduce my podcast. Thank you very much, Mr. Kennedy. Very much appreciated. Uh, some of you may know that I actually did an interview with uh, Congressman Kennedy um, in uh, January of 2018, so a long, pretty pretty long time ago. Uh, it's currently Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. Um, so, um, you know, almost two years ago that I did this interview, um, and now he's running for Senate in Massachusetts. He's trying to, uh, replace incumbent Ed Markey in the Massachusetts Senate. So, uh, it's often confused, you know, the Kennedy family tree, how Kennedy relates into all this. He is, of course, a member of the legendary political family uh, of the Kennedys. It's not just like, uh, what's that other guy? There's another Kennedy, I think, is it, uh, I don't know, there's there's some Kennedy in the Senate uh, or in the House of Representatives that has the last name Kennedy, but he's not related to uh, the Kennedys, uh, if, if uh, what, you know, if you go along with the uh, mainstream kind of understanding of their name. Uh, so let's just go over this whole idea, you know, of the Kennedy families and, and how Joe Kennedy the third plays into it because the the identity the the family tree of the Kennedys is very very complex. There's so many moving parts in their family that a lot of people get it confused. So I'm going to break it down very simply as it relates to Joe Kennedy the third. Okay, so Joseph P. Kennedy. Uh, was the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom from 1938 to 1940. He had a bunch of kids. Uh, out of them, uh, probably the most, arguably the most prominent uh, were uh, Ted Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, you know, and of course Eunice Shriver, Sergeant Shriver, uh, Gene Kennedy, and others. But the the idea really is Robert F. Kennedy and how that relates to Joe Kennedy III. So Robert F. Kennedy had uh, three ki- three children. Kathleen Kennedy, Kennedy, who is a Maryland lieutenant governor, Joseph P. Kennedy II, named after his father, uh, who was a representative of Massachusetts uh, for from 1987 to 1999, and Mary Kennedy, uh, who used to be married to the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Um, but anyway, Joseph Kennedy II, out of all of those three children of Robert F. Kennedy, uh, had uh, was was. Uh, the father of uh, Joseph Kennedy III, who is now running for Senate. So, Joseph Kennedy III's grandfather is Robert F. Kennedy, and Ro- and Robert F. Kennedy's father is Joseph P. Kennedy. So, a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit confusing there, but that's that's the that's the tree. Joseph P. Kennedy III's father is Joseph P. Kennedy II. And then his father is Robert F. Kennedy. And then his father is Joseph P. Kennedy I. And uh, so, yeah, Robert F. Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, they were brothers of John Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, the president of the United States at one point. Okay, so now that we have that out of the way, Kennedy was sworn into his current seat in the House of Representatives on January 3rd, 2013. He was assigned to the Committee on Foreign Affairs and the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. He was reelected a couple times, still uh, holds that seat today. He's running for Senate, uh, and that is what is happening right now. So, 
Uh, if we look at his committee assignments, he is currently the vice, so he's on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He is the uh, vice chair on the subcommittee of oversight and investigations on that committee. He's the member on the subcommittee on energy and the member of a subcommittee on health. He is the uh, primary sponsor of six bills that were able to be enacted. Uh, and there's not that many bills that are enacted anyway, so that's pretty that's pretty good. Um and uh, we can look at his whole voting record. We'll have it on the website, j-doherty.com. He's kind of a progressive, kind of standard Democrat, uh, very good, very nice person. Uh, and he's doing a really good job, as shown by his voting record and by his you know number of re-election. Um, but the guy who's holding the Senate that he's trying to snatch uh, is Edward Markey. Uh, who was just re-elected last term. So, or, uh, actually, I don't know if he's real. I think this is, no, he was sworn in 2013. Uh, so, but, yeah, so he's sworn in 2013. Uh, he's been in the, in the Congress for a while. We'll get to that in a second. But the real problem, perhaps, that Kennedy will face is that Markey has been endorsed by the ultra-radical left, progressive, crazy Democrats like like AOC, uh, not as crazy, but Elizabeth Warren has endorsed Markey, uh, two very progressive people, one of them appealing to young voters, <laughs> um, and that was all before Kennedy announced his elect, you know, his run for election. So Kennedy basically needs to be progressive if he wants to win the election, as unfortunately that has to be the case. Just if you want to win, you have to, you know, campaign progressively, uh, especially with younger people. Uh, so now what currently makes this unusual, though, is the age gap between these two guys and also their tenure in, in the Congress. Kennedy is currently 38. The other guy, Ed Markey, is 73. While Markey is relatively new in the Senate, he was just re-elected, or he just elected in 2013, he's been in Congress far longer than Joe Kennedy has been alive. To be fair, the legacy of the Kennedy family, of course, has outlived uh, Markey exponentially, not really, but they have li outlived him uh, by far. But I only say that to be, uh, you know, because if you look at each of these candidates objectively uh, and exclusively as it relates to policy, uh, they're both very similar. If you want a young, smart, progressive candidate with a fancy last name, Kennedy is your guy. If you want an old, progressive candidate who's been in Congress for 43 years, Markey is your guy. Uh, you know, the point is, on paper, as it relates to their policy, they're similar. They both have the stake, but Kennedy has the sizzle. That's basically what it is. Um... And I personally think if I were in this, of course, I would obviously vote for Joe Kennedy. I think he is a very good person. He gave me an interview. He just introduced my podcast, so how could I really not vote for him? But he's also a very good policymaker. Um, but the, the, the real question is how moderate uh, will the machine, how, how the moderate machine react to this? That's the big question. It's really up to House leadership in terms of who favors who, especially that because, uh, you know, uh, um, Markey is in the Senate. Uh, Kennedy is in the House, and I think the question is really how the moderate machine like Schumer and Pelosi will react to this. I think Pelosi and Kennedy have a very good relationship, not that that really matters in the election, but after all, uh, you know, as you will hear my interview with him, Pelosi was the one who asked him to, to deliver the State of the Union response in 2018. The Democratic machine clearly considers any member of the Kennedy family to be an esteemed member of their body. And now that Kennedy is looking to assume a position of seniority, you know, within the Congress as a senator, I think that idea will be furthered, uh, you know, and of course the voters have the ultimate decision in that.
Anyway, the election is still getting started over in Massachusetts, Massachusetts, so we will see exactly what happens. But I did cut up my interview with Congressman Joe Kennedy, which took place uh, in January of 2018, which was quite some time ago when I was uh, 13, I believe, and now I'm 15. So a little bit of change in maturity and voice. Uh, but without further ado, here is part of my interview with Congressman Joseph P. Kennedy III of Massachusetts, now running to be a senator in Massachusetts. Here's Joe Kennedy. You have been in congressional office since 2013. As of now, overall, would you say you're enjoying it? Yeah, I am. Um, some parts are better than others. Uh, but look, it's an extraordinary honor to be able to represent um, the people of Massachusetts in, in Congress. I'm one of nine Congress members there. It's it's a demanding job. It takes an awful lot of a, a, a effort out of me and out of my family. But um, to be able to be uh, the voice of about 750,000 people on the policies down in Washington, is um, it's... It's an honor and it's a thrill. So you gave the formal response to Donald Trump's State of the Union address, and I thought it was really good. How was it asked to be given the formal response to the State of the Union address? So it's a great question, and I don't actually really know how that came about. Um, we were down in Washington about the week before um, in the midst of this kind of short-lived government shutdown. And I believe it was either it was Sunday uh, when we were, um, it was either Sunday or Monday, we were in a caucus meeting and Leader Pelosi uh, mentioned to me, she said, hey, I need to talk to you about something, but later, I said, okay, that's fine. Um, didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. Uh, then later that evening, we were voting and she said, I, she came up to me again and said, I need to speak with you. And uh, I said, okay, what's going on? She said, well, not here. And we walked off the House floor and uh, we kept going into her, her office and she kicked out all of her staff. And so I started to get a little nervous at that point that I might be in trouble or something. Um, and um, she extended this extraordinary invitation and honor and I obviously was uh, thrilled to be able to, uh, to be offered and to be asked. And so I said yes right away. Um, it's also a, it's a tough spot. I'd seen a lot of uh, really gifted um, politicians be in a position of trying to respond to the, to the president. and. Whether you're a fan or, or, or not of whoever the president is, it's awfully hard to meet the moment of a State of the Union with the environment and the pomp and circumstance in the, in the House chamber. So um, I knew it was going to be a bit of a challenge, but um, still thrilled to try to give it a shot and see, see if we could do it well. And you, kind of, you represent kind of the younger wave of Democrats, being that you're 37. Uh, how do you think younger people can effectively get involved in politics and leadership? There isn't any debate at this point uh, about whether young people can get involved, we have to. Um, if you look back at, or if you look at over the challenges our country is facing today, whether that's um, issues for our planet and climate change, whether it's fiscal issues with the $20 trillion debt and a tax cut that was just passed that is something that my friend you and I are going to be paying for, uh, whether it's a lack of infrastructure, lead in our drinking water, uh, guns tearing apart our schools, our churches, our concerts, the, the challenges that is being left to a younger generation uh, at this point uh, are begging for our response. And you've actually seen in the last couple of days uh, this extraordinary response from these high school students in Florida that have said, we're not going to accept the platitudes that elected officials, that adults, the folks that are supposed to be caring for our children and nurturing uh, them and, and providing them a, a, a pathway to success, to forward to to raise their own families and to grow into a, a vibrant economy and, and a nation that we can be proud of, they're not going to accept our excuses any longer. And to see that response, um, to immediately change the debate on one critical issue in our country on guns, um, I think has um, 
sending ripples across a whole wide variety of communities and, and issues out there. So we need to step up. Millennials, by definition, folks that are old enough to vote 18 to 34, um, thereabouts, they are the largest generation in American history. They will decide the outcome of these next elections, no question. It's a question as to whether they vote or not. If they vote, they will decide it. If they don't, they will also decide it. How do you think, you know, having effective leadership and getting your message out to the people that you serve, how can you do that with all this so-called fake news and uh, Twitter and social media? Does that help or does that make it worse? Both. Uh, so look, it's, um, on the one hand, you've seen, a, as we call it, a democratization of information, right? Anybody, uh, is, anybody at the moment is a reporter. You can all of a sudden, with social media, with Twitter and Facebook, take videos and, and uh, photographs and messages and, and put them up online for literally millions of people to see. The challenge is, is there's also no vetting process as to what's actually true and what's not. And that's been the, this big challenge with the, kind of this fake news phenomenon. That provides an extraordinary opportunity for elected officials, um, people running for office, or, or just any type of civic leader, professional athletes, others, to be able to communicate with a broad following. But it means with that, I would argue, comes a responsibility to do so with the obligation that um, what you say, that words still matter and words count. And we have to, I think, get back to um, that recognition that people do listen to what um, leaders in society say. And I think there should be a responsibility that all of us have, elected official or otherwise, uh, have with the way that we use those social media accounts and the way that we choose to interact with, with the public. Mm -hmm. So uh, when the Republicans wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act, you spoke very passionately out in front of Congress uh, on the virtue of mercy. How does a person in public office uh, exhibit mercy effectively? It's <laughs> uh, a great question. I'm not I'm not sure anybody, well, I'm, I'm not sure I'm certainly qualified to, to say it. I think um, what I was responding to in, in, in that speech was uh, an effort by Republican leadership to strip, um, by varying accounts, 20 to 30 million people from health care. And the Speaker of the House termed that an act of mercy. Um, and taking health care from, from millions of Americans is not merciful. Uh, forcing people to uh, have to go through these heartbreaking decisions that no person, let alone no, no American, should have to go through choosing to, to beat your job or, or, or by your loved one's side uh, when they need you isn't a choice that, one, we as a society have to put on the shoulders of our people, and two, that the richest, most powerful country in the world uh, and in the course of human history just shouldn't. Um, and I think the frustrating part about this debate from my perspective is, look, healthcare is something that most people don't think about until you really need it, in which case it's the only thing people think about. And it is unique in our circumstances because there's a whole lot of government programs and a whole lot of things in our society that some folks might not need. Healthcare is something we're all gonna need at some point, whether you're welcoming a new child into, into this world or, or watching a loved one pass out of it. And we all pay into it, whether you like it or not. What, what comes with that then is, a, I believe, a collective responsibility to try to make that system work and work effectively and efficiently. And what we're seeing, what we saw through those healthcare repeals was a callous effort to strip it away and to try to, from millions of Americans, and try to call that uh, mercy or effective government. And it's just not the case. Um, I do take heart from the fact that there are millions of people across the country that stood up and said, no, you can't do that. And because they did, Republicans failed. Um, 
but it doesn't mean they stopped. And so we got to stay vigilant on it and keep, um, keep our voices up. Um, so I, before we end, I just want to point out that there's been a lot of speculation from the media that you might run for president. <laughs> is, it, is it possible that you might even consider running for president in the future? Uh, I have absolutely no plans to run for president. I've got a two-year-old and an eight-week-old. Um, the big question for me is, am I going to sleep tonight? And I hope the answer to that is yes. Other than that, um, I'm not really focused on much. <laughs> Congressman Kennedy, thank you so much. Okay, thanks, pal. Thank you. Yeah, all right. So that's the end of the interview right there. If you want to hear the full interview, it's, that one's, uh, I don't know, about eight minutes and three seconds. If you want to hear the full interview, uh, I think it's about anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. You can go to j-story.com. Slash interviews. It was a little bit choppy. I edited some parts out. It's not that choppy in the actual interview. You can witness it for yourself. J-Jordy.com. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that interview. It was quite some time ago, as you can probably tell by uh, the quality and the sound of my voice. Um, right now, though, it is 2.46 and Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, broadcasting live on the internet radio uh, right now. And we are going to be right back on episode number 108 of the J. Doherty Podcast. This is the J. Doherty Podcast. J. Doherty Podcast, welcome back everyone. 2.50 p.m. Sunday, September 22nd, 2019, broadcasting live on the internet, radio, and on the podcast, of course. Thank you very much for listening. Lots of stuff going on in the news. We're going to close out this episode of the podcast at 37 minutes and 10 seconds with This Week in Media. Lots to talk about. Of course, there's so many things that happened this week in media. Uh, Nexstar attribu- uh, uh, bought out Tribune Media, which owns, of course, WGN Radio. No comment on that on this podcast, but I just wanted to bring it up. And other media, perhaps on a larger national scale, Megan McCain of The View got into an argument uh, with Anna Navarro. Uh, they're both... Republicans are conservatives uh, by the def- you know in the way they define themselves. The view is a total, in my opinion, it just it's all it's literally. I don't know how the ratings are. I don't think they do very well, but all it is is just a panel of you know people complaining about issues that they don't fix. Uh, and it's been that way for a while. I suppose it makes good TV. It's kind of like the debates. I mean, you kind of hear good points, you hear good clips, you're and you're somewhat informed by just the facts and the clips that they play. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just reality TV, and that's exactly how I feel about the View generally. But that that uh, understanding, and my opinion, was reinforced when uh, Anna Navarro and Meghan McCain, daughter of uh, the late John McCain, got into an argument. Uh, on this show. Oh, yeah, and also, before I get into, uh, before I, just to further my point, it is ridiculous how uh, stacked up, um, uh, you know, the the divide between Republicans and Democrats are on this show. Uh, literally everyone in the normal circle, everyone is a Democrat, except for Meghan McCain. Everyone is conservative, except for the four people that are not Meghan McCain. So... It's ridiculous. I, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. But I think it is ridiculous that it's split up so much. Uh, I would be fine with even three to two. I mean, I, I know the media, of course, is very liberal, and that's just how it is. I mean, it's basically 95 to 5 in terms of conservative panelists and such. But I think it should be more like 80 to 20. Because I think you can enforce your narratives in ways that make sense. But, uh, yeah. You can enforce your narratives in way that makes in, in ways that make sense, but 
you have to be very clever about it, and, you know, it's also just better to be objective, but, you know, in the facts, but then give your opinions afterwards. That's actually kind of what happened in this part, but they got into an argument, which caused Meghan McCain to walk off the set after this argument. Maybe I'm I don't like it. in the way that I said <laughs> I, you know, it. I'm, 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 I'm feet away. I don't need you to scream Abby, at me this way. Abby was, I don't, I don't know what you just said, but I um, said, don't scream at me. I'm two feet away. I, I'll read it. You know what? Let me read it. Trump has denied doing That's anything so rude, improper. Anna. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Okay. So, so then the promo goes, and they're doing, you know, teases for the upcoming segment. She drinks her coffee and then walks out off the set, and people are literally just like in the audience, freaked out. Will it be a wake-up call or a waste of time? So the view is live, by the way. So they're literally switching this on a TriCaster live, and people are watching this argument happen. And as they're viewing, as as that music, that promo, that tease is playing, um, they are doing like panoramic shots with you know live jibs and stuff around the studio, and then panning to audience shots just before they go to commercial, so you can kind of buy time. Um, and uh, that And then, you know, as that's going on, Megan McCain left the set, and you can kind of see in a video, which I'll post on the website, j-story.com, she literally just walks out as that promo music is playing, just because of the argument that she got into with Anna Navarro. They came back, everything seemed to be fine, but I don't know. Part of the reason I don't like The View is just because of the first part of the clip. I can't stand that. That's, that's ridiculous. And, um, you know... When multiple people are watching it, or sometimes if it's bigger, it just sounds like that, but with reverb on. I mean, seriously, it's ridiculous. And I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that show, you know, objectively. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the media is a very amusing thing. Uh, it's kind of like an object that just, you know, constantly wants to reinforce narratives. Um, but I think the biggest pattern, especially within CNN and Fox, being the very left and the very right, their show, when you go on to Fox on whatever channel you watch Fox on, of course, it's going to be very right. And if you go on to CNN, of course, it's going to be very left. But if you go on their websites, you actually read the reporting, they use too many adjectives on both sides. But generally, for the most part, it's objective. It's it's the opinion host. It's the columnist. It's what they say that's so left skewed and sometimes yes they will mis- mislabel analysis for uh you know act for opinion even though it's not analysis but generally you know their actual coverage what they write and the way they put it together and the clips and the fact finding it's generally pretty good on both sides it's just the hosts and the show business part that that makes people mad and that's kind of what you just have to remember when you when you watch these shows and you watch fox and cnn and all the big uh, networks Anyway, it's episode number 108 of the J. Rory Podcast, 2.55 p.m. on the internet radio and broadcasting live. Sunday, September 22nd, 2019. JD Media Network, 42 minutes and 45 seconds into this fine episode. We're going to end it right here. This is the J. Rory Podcast. You can get it anywhere you like. Uh, basically, any... Oh, oh, big announcement. I forgot to make this a bit in the uh, beginning of the show, but we are now on... Alexa. So if you want to get on Alexa, uh, you just look up the J. Doherty podcast skill in your Alexa app. And you just, all you have to do is look up the J. Doherty podcast, enable that skill, and this podcast will be in your news briefing. Isn't that pretty cool? Subscribe to the podcast on, uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're pretty much everywhere, including Google Play and others. 
This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. The Jay Doherty Podcast is hosted in the JD Media Network Studios in Chicago, Illinois. The Jay Doherty Podcast is hosted, produced, edited, and mixed by Jay Doherty. TJDP is voiced by Newsmic VoiceOver, hosted by Blueberry, and edited with Audition. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright Jay Doherty 2019. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for weekly discussions on international politics. Or listen to the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Or listen to other JD Media Network productions in nearly any podcast directory. Thank you for listening to this episode of the J. Doherty Podcast.